know some of you would like that oh yes right there because it says feasting right after that. And you're like, oh yes, food! You know, there we go. So good singing, good job tonight. It's good to sing the songs of God. It's okay to get a little loud with it too. Do you know there were 18,000 fans filling stadiums today cheering on their favorite teams, which mean nothing in basketball. Well, if the Lakers win, it means something. If anyone else wins, it doesn't really mean anything. But um, if we can cheer someone putting a basketball into a hoop, we can sing out and say praise God and get a little excited about the things of God. It's okay. You'll be all right. I know some think church is supposed to be a dignified place for nothing. Wait till we get to heaven. There's going to be shouting, rejoicing. What a day of rejoicing it's going to be. When we all see Jesus, we're going to sing and we're going to shout the victory. Yep, I can't wait for that day. Until then, we've got to get the practice in now. I know sometimes people are like, Pastor, we sing a lot on Sunday nights. Do you mind singing songs to the Lord? I don't think there's anything better we can do than sing to the Lord. I know you got your songs in your car and your, you know, that, that country song you really like that, you know, you lose everything there and you're hoping it all comes back to you someday. You know, I got a couple of those country love songs I like. I sing to Caroline every once in a while. You say, which ones? I'm not going to tell you. That's not your, it's not for you to know. And then every once in a while I'll listen to, you know, one of, I like Sweet Caroline, that song. Anybody know what that song is? It's named after, I, they wrote that for Caroline. That's where the song came from. Sweet Caroline. Just fits her, right? Just fits her. Bum, bum, bum. Anyways, all right. Acts 13. Acts 13 tonight. And Acts chapter 13. And we're going to dive in. Now, this is what I love about tonight's passage is the fact that literally we're just going to read Paul's, really his first sermon we see. We know that he preached at other times, and he got people mad at him, so I'm sure that he preached other sermons. But this is really the first one we see in detail. If you remember last week, we looked at the church there in Antioch, and they sent out the first missionaries, right? And so they sent out, and they... God called, and the Holy Spirit called these missionaries, and they were going on their first journey. And what happened was, we look here, the Bible tells us in Acts 13, look down at verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisdah, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law, then the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So literally, hey, you got something to say for the Lord? Say it. Well, that's a great invitation right there. And when people give you, and that's one of the things, you know, I, the other day, someone asked me to preach, and sometimes it's like, sometimes people ask me to preach somewhere, it's like, ah. Oh, Never turn down an opportunity to speak up for the Lord anytime you can. It doesn't matter where you preach or where you talk about the Lord. Just do it. It's an awesome thing. And it doesn't matter if there's five people listening or 100 people listening or if you're at the rescue mission in downtown L.A. I give my all everywhere that I preach because it's an awesome privilege to be able to sp- preach and to give the word of God. So we look at when then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, so do you see he used his hands when he spoke? So every once in a while you'll see me, he was beckoning them with his hands. He said, men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelled as strangers in the land of Egypt. 
and with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards, man, Paul knows his stuff, doesn't he? Paul knows his stuff. And afterwards they desiring a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony, and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desiring they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now he's quoting psalms. He's going all over. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, but said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your day, a work that ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Not everyone listened and received Paul's message well. But it's interesting that those Gentiles there, 
said, hey, when we come back next Saturday, could you talk about this again? Take a little bit of time tonight, and we're just going to break down. I'm going to give an outline to Paul's message that he preached. I don't think I need to add much to what Paul said, but I just want to give you a brief outline on what he preached to the people that day, and we'll be done this evening. Father in heaven, we need you tonight. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace, and just for this opportunity to be gathered together in your house. I pray that you bless this time. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for what it does in our lives, and may we never forget that or neglect it. Thank you for it. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you noticed as we just read through Paul's sermon, but did you notice all the Bible he used in his sermon? That's what a biblical sermon is. The Word of God. And we see Paul gives us the Word of God. He doesn't give us a funny joke, although sometimes there are funny jokes that the pastor will give. Especially mine are funny. They're not dry like Russ or anything like that. They're funny. But we see that he gives Bible. What we need in our day and age and what we're missing in most, in, in not most, in some sermons that are preached and in other churches and in places, we're missing what it's all about. It's all about this book. If this book is not being preached and not what the sermon's about, there's really no point to it. So as we look here tonight and as we look at this, Paul's sermon, he's on his missionary journey. It takes place in the synagogue. After he was invited to give a word of exhortation to the people here. So as we go through tonight, I'm just going to break it down. We'll go right through it and we'll see what we, what's said here. Let's give you a brief outline of it. Number one, as we go through, we see the preparation for the Messiah. God was setting the stage preparing for Jesus. I don't know if you realize the whole Bible from the beginning to the end is all about Jesus. He is the theme from the beginning, and he's the theme in the end. It's all about Jesus. And what the Old Testament does is it points forward to Jesus. That's what it points to. There are so many typologies of Christ. And as we look here, we see as Paul gives these words, and as he speaks, and as he preaches this message, and we think about how the preparation for the Messiah, we see letter A, we see the fact that God made a great nation out of Israel. We see that in these verses here. And God took this group of people, and God decided to make a great nation out of Israel. God took, and you might say, well, why the Jews? Why Israel? Why? God decided to. God took Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, he took that line and decided to make a great nation out of that line. And, and you think about, why does God love Israel so much? What makes them different? What makes them? And I don't know that I could answer all of that for you tonight. But I will say, it, and why we should love Israel? Jesus came through that line. The word of God was given to us through that line. Man, if we were to look and you wonder how we got the Bible and how we got all the books of the Bible, the New Testament, those books, they were scattered throughout, and there was a lot of work to gather them up. But the Jews, they took that Old Testament, and they were very particular and made copies. They preserved that Old Testament, and they took care of it, and we got the Old Testament from them. And so as we look at this and we think about this, God took an insignificant family, 
in Abraham, in Abram. I always tease Abram. Like, when is God going to make your name Abraham? I'm waiting for the day, Abram, your name is Abraham. I say that at the rescue mission, wherever I'm at with him. His name's Abram, not Abraham. He's not there yet. We're waiting for that day. But God took a man, a heathen man that worshiped pagan gods and took him and decided to make a great nation out of him. God took one of his, you think about this, he took his grandson. Not the one in line who should have gotten the blessing, but the one that God gave the blessing to and took his 12 sons and got the 12 tribes of Israel from there. God gave them victory, and as we read here a few minutes ago, God gave them victory in Canaan. As they went in, God went with them and guided them. God made a great nation out of Israel. But not only that, we see letter B, that God was very patient with Israel. He was very patient. And way more patient than I ever would be. We were talking about in the youth group earlier tonight, that passage in Exodus 33 where, the, where God tells Moses, Hey, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land. Because if I go with you guys in the promised land, I'm going to kill you all. I'll let my angel go with you. You'll get the victory. You'll get in there. You go with the angel. He'll get you in. I love Moses' response. Hey, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. That's quite a statement right there. And, but we think about all that they did, and God was so patient with them. God blessed them even when they weren't faithful to him. Repeatedly, they went out and worshipped false gods, and the gods of their neighbors, the ones God wanted them to wipe out of Canaan. And though God might have chastened them and tried to teach them a lesson, he never abandoned them. He never forgot about them. He never forgot about his promises. But we see the fact that God made a great nation out of them. God was patient with them. And we also see, letter C, that God granted Israel's request for a king. As Paul says here, there was the time of the judges. And what a chaotic time for Israel during the time of the judges. The problem in the book of Judges has told us at the end of the book, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And hey, Christian Knight, you need to make sure of something. We get in a lot of trouble when we do what we think is right. Well, I think this, I don't care what you think, and you shouldn't care what I think. We should do what God says is right and follow his word. Israel would have been in a lot better shape if they would have done what God thought was right. But we get this idea, I don't think it's that bad. You're not God. I'm not God. We need to follow God and his leading. And the children of Israel did a lot better when they followed God. There was the time of the judges, and then they got Saul as a king. And it's interesting to note, I think Saul was a good guy that let it all go to his head. And I also believe that he should never have been king of Israel. But God let them have a king because that's what they wanted. That's where we look at those that believe in um, some, some thoughts about Calvinism. God let them choose a king. 
He did. Their will. They wanted a king. God gave them a king. If this is what you want, here you go. But what tribe was Saul of? Tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin. And do you know, if we were to go look back in the book of Deuteronomy, God knew they were going to have a king at some point. Because the Lord said, hey, when you have a king, he needs to read the law. He also shouldn't marry a bunch of women because he's going to turn his heart away. God knew they were going to have a king at some point. But they wanted a king before they were ready for a king. And we got to understand, David was God's choice. Say, why? Because David wasn't anybody else's choice. Isn't that how God works? Out of all the choices for king, it was David. And Samuel, Samuel was a prophet of God, had a special touch of God on his life, and Samuel couldn't figure it out. But I love what the Lord tells Samuel, hey, I don't see like you see. I look on the heart. Was David a perfect man? By no, no. Did he mess up? Oh, he messed up over and over and over again. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Do you know what I love? When we read in the New Testament anything that's mentioned about David, you don't ever hear any bad. Was there a lot of bad with David? Yes. To talk about tonight. But do you see, when you know Christ, he chooses to forget the bad. And he doesn't see the bad. Great thing to remember. We see, preparing for the Messiah, that God chose a special family and decided to use Israel. He was patient with them. He raised up a line through the kings. And we see the fact that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Man, I love, takes time sometime to read through 2 Samuel chapter number 7, 8 and 9. But chapter 7, David says, God, I have a beautiful place to live. You need a house. God says, David, you're not going to build me a house. You've got too much blood on you. You're a man of war. You can't build it. But hey, I'll let your son build it. But David, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you and your line. And I'm going to establish your throne forever. And you know, we look today, who's sitting on the throne of David today? No one. Is the throne still there? Yes. Because there's one to come. Why do you think all, you think about this? The Jews were completely wiped out and the land was wiped out, right? Do you know that the word of God is one of the only places you have the legal right to the throne of David listed in the Chronicles and then the lines in Matthew and in Luke and there will be a king on the throne of David again and the only one who it could be is Jesus Christ and we have all the records before our eyes of who will be king but you see the fact that God was preparing the way and God raised up a nation And he was patient with that nation. He even granted their request for a king. And then we see this line. And not only do we see the preparation for the Messiah, but number two tonight, we see the preaching or the proclaiming 
of a Messiah coming. In verse 23 through verse 27, we see, first of all, it was by John the Baptist. By John the Baptist. The Bible tells us in Malachi 3, verse number 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. We know the fact that John the Baptist proclaimed the fact that Jesus was coming and he was preparing the way. He was the messenger that was sent proclaiming that fact. We see that in verse 23. And in verse 24, it says, When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance says to the children of Israel, and they said, I'm not he, but there's one that's coming. He's the one. And he proclaimed the Messiah. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus. And I love, I love the attitude that John the Baptist had as Jesus was growing in fame. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. What a great lesson for all of us in our lives if we could just decrease and he could increase. We need that attitude that John the Baptist had. And it would help us. We see that he was preached by John the Baptist. We also see the fact that he was preached by Paul. Isn't Jesus preached by him here? And there are a lot of verses that are mentioned through here. And Paul preached that, G, that God sent his message of salvation in his son. That the death of Jesus was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And we have verses that talk about that. Psalm 109.25 I became as a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. Psalm 22.18 They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Psalm 22.1 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? We see the fact that he was preached about by Paul. Romans 1, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We see the fact that he was proclaimed and preached. And we also see thirdly and lastly tonight, we see the fact that there was the preparation for the Messiah we see, secondly, as we looked here, we see the preaching about the Messiah. And then the third point of Paul's message is the forgiveness that comes from the Messiah. Look at verse 38 through 42. I want you to read these with me. And we'll be done here in a couple minutes. Verse 38, the scripture says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man that is preached unto you, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, through the Messiah, is the forgiveness of sins. And by Jesus, all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your day, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it to you. And you see, Paul's warning them, hey, don't fall for that trick. Don't, don't despise it. God's doing a work in this day, and don't miss what he's doing. And then look at the next verse. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, 
they literally did what Paul just warned them what not to do. It says, not the Jews, but the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. We see the forgiveness from the Messiah. We see that this forgiveness has been provided through Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the fact that we could not be forgiven by the law. The law does not forgive. The law does not bring in forgiveness. The law shows us our need for a Savior. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. See, so many people try to add things to salvation. You've got to understand it is only through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that was made for us. It's interesting as we look here, we see that this was preached on, and there were some that received it. And in fact, I don't want to jump into it, but there were some Jews that believed too. And there were Gentiles that wanted to hear about it again the following week. It's interesting to note that as we see what happens here is you kind of see taking place the fact that the Jews are still being preached to, but they're more and more turning a dull ear to it. And Paul hasn't started preaching to Gentiles yet. It's coming. But, you know, just a little thought that I had as I was studying this, and we see how the Jews didn't want it, so God brought it to the Gentiles. I think there's a great lesson for us in our country today. We have the Word of God, and we've been given so much. And we have God's truth. And how many doors, how many people, think about in America, how many people have heard the gospel over and over again. And then there are places they've never heard the gospel. And I think that if we keep turning away God, it's going to get to the point to where God says, all right, I'll go someplace else. I think that's happened in England. It's happened there. Look at the big churches they used to have and the revivals that took place. Before long, it's going to leave America and go maybe to the Philippines, to China. You never know. Paul preaches a great message. It's a biblical message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the preparing for him, about the preaching of him, and his forgiveness that he brings. It would do us all good to take that message of Jesus that Paul preached. And you don't have to be as long as him, or you could be if you want. But it would be great to tell someone about how the Bible talks about there was preparing for a Messiah. And people preached about him. He was talked about. And he can forgive your sins. And guess what? Some people are going to listen. Some people won't. But it's not up to us to figure out who's going to listen, who's not. It's just our job to preach the word. Let's do that and follow through. And what a great message as Paul begins his preaching journey. And uh, this is the beginning for him. You'll see there's a lot more. 
And man, he was, it's amazing how God took, and when you take the time to study and you look at Paul, Paul knew so much. And it rare do you see where someone so smart could really get smart and come to the Lord. Because there are a lot of smart, dumb people. I think you know what I mean when I say that, right? And people that are just too smart for their own good. But God, and I believe for God brought, God did an amazing work in his life. And it's amazing to see how God worked in his life. I also love to see, do you know, I do not compare us to Israel. Israel is different than us. There are some similarities through there. But to think that God chose Abraham and his family, to think that God chose us before the foundation of the world, and that God is very patient with us, just like he's patient with Israel. And to think that we're going to be priests and kings someday as well. You don't have to have seven children to have your own planet and be a priest and king like some religions teach you. God's just so good to us. Don't ever lose sight of that. Never lose the awe and the wonder of all that the Lord does in our lives. Father, thank you for the truths that are found in your word.